If you don't have a strategy right now for Industry 4.0, the revolution in automation, management should be working together with its workforce in crafting that strategy. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. For those of you joining us for the first time, I just want to welcome you to this special episode. Uh, It's such an honor that you have found us, and we hope that this content gives you the value you are seeking. And for those of you who are regular audience members, we just want to welcome you back and just let you know, if you are wrestling with the leadership question, if you would like one of our faculty to help answer uh, maybe maybe something that you are wrestling with um, as a leader, as a manager, or you simply want to nominate a guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at IUPUI.edu. Well, it is October, which means for us here at Kelly, it is the Manufacturing Awareness Month. Basically, we like to focus a lot of our conversations on the manufacturing sector of business here in Indianapolis, across Indiana, and just across the country. So we are joined by Professor of Operations Management, Mark Froelich, on this episode. He is also the Director of Kelly Center for Excellence in Manufacturing. Him and a Professor of Finance, Steve Jones have been working on a manufacturing survey. It's been coming out for the past 13 years and has been commissioned by Kat Sapper Miller. And this manufacturing survey has been a really good insight into casting projections and forecasts and really giving a snapshot here in Indiana of what the manufacturing industry is looking like. So Mark, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, as you uh, said it, I think you really nailed it. October is a special month for manufacturers, especially here in Indiana. Uh, Manufacturing in our state is by far and away the biggest sector. It's over $100 billion, um, drives over a quarter of our GDP, employs literally hundreds of thousands of people. And so it is very fitting that we're doing this recording here, literally sitting at ground zero for manufacturing, not only uh, in the upper Midwest, but I'd argue probably for the whole entire world. So I want to start start off by uh, getting into this manufacturing survey. So for those who uh, you know are unfamiliar, you know, with what you guys have been working on for th- over thirteen years, you know, what is this survey all about? The kind of backbone or structure of this study has always been a core set of questions that we've asked year after year after year. And again, by doing that, we're able to go back in time and compare 2019 to 2014 or 2010 longitudinally. Of course, themes come and go, trends. You know, we went through the Great Recession as an example. Now, many people consider manufacturing in a bit of a renaissance or a boom. So in addition to those core questions over the years, we've added kind of hot topics or, or new phenomena as they've unfolded and tracked those along. So every year, the survey is kind of a blend of the very familiar old, again, to help Hoosier manufacturers and others benchmark against performance in the past. But we always spend a lot of time in the winter months as we get ready to put this survey out and collect the information, updating it, you know, what's going on right now. Uh, what's going to be going on in the next few years? And let's get those questions in too. 
And one thing that was really interesting before we started recording was you were mentioning that uh, this is a milestone for for data collection, you know, we're just over the 10 year mark of getting all this data where you were saying, you know, you can really start to see specific trends after over 10 years, you can look back and almost project toward the future. So what have you noticed with looking back these past 10 past 13 years? What are some trends that you're starting to picking up? And how is that impacting where the future of manufacturing? Yeah, the, the unique thing uh, when you uh, do a study and collect data is you're literally the person who gets to kind of see what's going on first. And so uh, Professor Steve Jones and myself, every year as all this data comes in from across Indiana, it's almost like a, a present. We can't wait to open up the data and see what's going on in our state. Even though we get out a lot and interact with managers, uh, we always get insights, deep insights through this study. Ten years ago, uh, if you think about the uh, coming out of the Great Recession, what you saw was a lot of companies scrambling to catch up on investments. They had just deferred a lot of investments uh, as we got into and went through the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, 2010. So back in those days, it was mostly just about incredible increases in uh, capital expenditures, uh, investing in workers, training, as well as uh, upgrading uh, facilities, automation, those kinds of things. A couple years later, of course, today everybody talks about the skills gap and the labor shortage. I still remember, I think it was about 2014 was the first time that blip showed up on the radar. And Steve and I were, oh, What's this? <laughs> There's some concern over labor. If you reflect back, uh, that was the early uh, baby boomers beginning to retire. Um, the economy was, again, rebounding at that point, and companies were beginning to take advantage of the recession being over and focusing on growth. And, of course, one of the keys to growing is your workforce, your skills base, and so we saw that in 2014, uh, literally in a study like this, all you can do is ask the same questions, and it came back bigger in 2015, 2016, 2017. And of course, that theme is carried through right here to the present. Um, another trend that started to emerge about the same time, 2015, 2016, is the uh, second wave, or th some people actually call it Industry 4.0, so I guess you call it the fourth wave, of automation in manufacturing. And we begin to see a real uptick in an emphasis on uh, 3D printing, as an example, uh, automatic guided vehicles, storage systems, and uh, lasers, and more advanced materials, composites, those kinds of things we track for benchmarking in our survey. So as I sit here and think about the 2019 study, we knew these two trends we're out there. We've been tracking them now for, again, about a half a decade or longer. And as always happens, uh, at some point, they start to converge. And that's what we're seeing in the 2019 data. Uh, the worker shortage is still here. Uh, the state, uh, federal, local, everyone, uh, if you think of the education system, uh, a big part of Manufacturing Month is working with uh, young people in high school and trying to open their eyes and awareness to careers in manufacturing. So lots of resources are being funneled or channeled into trying to address the skills gap and, and entice or, or interest more 
uh, young people into going into careers in manufacturing. But at the same time now, the automation, uh, we see this all the time in our lives. You know, every couple of years, the cell phones are way more capable, way cheaper, or at the same price point, at least you're getting a lot more for the money. Same thing's going on with Shop4 Automation. So here in 2019, um, a little bit last year in the 2018 study, but especially this year, it looks to us like a lot of manufacturers now are, we're going to grow. You know, it's important to our companies, it's important to our communities, it's important to our state. We're going to recruit people, uh, upskill people anywhere and every way that we can. But if we can't get enough labor, then we're going to automate. And we added in the study a few years ago some interesting questions, I think, around as you automate, is this displacing workers? You know, are you wiping out opportunities? Are you creating opportunities? And every year we've asked that question in parallel to the labor shortage and the uh, change in automation uh, going on across manufacturing. Every year we've seen the same thing in our study. Manufacturers don't think they're wiping out jobs. They're making jobs more interesting. There's more skill. Uh, you know, not only are you programming automation, you're maintaining automation. I, I got to get this out here. I just heard uh, a company last week, uh, they were talking about automation in their factory, and the workers have so uh, adapted to or embraced the robots that they were calling them robots. And it just really cracked me up. That literally, you know, the perception might be that this automation or the robots are going to wipe out all kinds of uh, manufacturing jobs. But indeed, the automation is going in to areas that are uh, can be hazardous to people, repetitive type things, dust, the environment, uh, environmental issues perhaps aren't, you know, most conductive for humans to be in there, maybe because what you're breathing or something like that. But you can put your robots in there and they can do the jobs. And then the humans, if you will, uh, I wouldn't say they're stepping back. I think they're stepping up. And uh, one thing we added in this study this year too, which I'm very interested to track going forward, is the ratio in companies of robots to humans. And this year, I figured it would be low. It came out, the typical Hoosier manufacturer has about one robot for every four persons, four people. But we did find some companies that have two robots to one person. And we had found a number where they're at parity, one-to-one. So my hypothesis, if you will, is that as we go forward into the 2020s, we're going to see fewer and fewer of those four people to one robot ratios and more going to one-to-one or two-to-one, or perhaps even eventually three or four more-to-one. So I want to get into this automation thing, because I think that's a big buzzword. I think for a lot of people, there's fear, you know, in, in job loss, especially for those who are on the line, especially who are those who are hands-on in the manufacturing. Um, and talk about, you brought up an interesting point about how you think that it's not, it's not eliminating, it's giving opportunity for people to step up and almost elevating, uh, which is a really positive thing, you know, especially as you, as you talk about, you know, people moving, moving themselves further along. So what can, you know, managers, as they're navigating with some of their teams in the manufacturing world to combat the fear of their, um, of their front linemen, you know, when, as they start bringing more automation into their factories and manufacturing facilities, how can those conversations be led from a manager's perspective 
to to show them that this is a potential for elevation instead of elimination? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Matt. Well, we hear transparency all the time, don't we, in, in many aspects of life. I think the key thing is transparency in your factory. Um, if you don't have a strategy right now for Industry 4.0, the revolution in automation of all flavors, uh, sensors, shop floor robotics, um, 3D printing, and, and many other things that are part of Industry 4.0. If you don't have one of those right now, management should be working together with its workforce and crafting that strategy. You're going to need that for the coming decade. Uh, we asked, have been asking for several years questions in regards to Industry 4.0, the big theme of our 2018 uh, report was Industry 4.0 is here in Indiana. We see it in the data. So that strategy needs to be put into place. And then that's where the transparency comes in. Share it with your workers. Let them know where you're going. A lot of automation allows for uh, things that benefit the customer base, uh, incredible opportunities to have more customized products, as an example, uh, quicker delivery, is another feature you often see. Uh, some of the routine or mundane stuff like monitoring goes away if there's sensors everywhere. If you think about like a lot of us have Nest thermostats at home now, you know, keeping a watch on our thermostat when we're away at work, that's great. That kind of frees us up to do other more value-added activities, if you will. And it's the same thing going on in industry. And then that transparency that you share with your workers uh, will be... Uh, rewarded in kind because then the workers know, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're modernizing this side of the factory. Maybe we're upgrading this assembly line or bringing in this kind of new robotics, but it's not about displacing workers. It's part of our company's strategy to grow. It's going to allow us to be more competitive against not just a local, but international competitors, perhaps if you're in a global market and the workers, too, appreciate, they know, I, I myself grew up in manufacturing. I was a rookie line manager back in the Industry 3.0 revolution in the 80s. And the workers know what's going on. You know, they know the tough jobs. They know the jobs that might have a little hazard attached to them. They know the jobs at the end of their seven and a half hours, eight-hour shift that you go home and you sleep the rest of the day because you're exhausted. And the workers appreciate when those kinds of jobs are automated Again, because it kind of reserves, you know, their their talents for things that humans are perhaps more suited to. So I think that's the key thing: is just sharing with your workforce what you're doing. I myself, I I wouldn't say it shows up in this study, but getting out into industry almost every week, I've never heard of a company where the workers rebel when they know exactly what the company strategy is and where the business is going. And so as we enter into uh, this kind of economic slowdown, uh, we've seen that, you know, we've had a huge boom and things seem to be kind of starting to level. Maybe they're not fully done leveling. What is that going to play into with your projections into the 2020, 2021 manufacturing year? Is that going to start slowing down and impact some of, you know, the automation and labor shortage? What, what is your projections? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, no doubt a recession will come, you know, in, in business. Uh, we know that there are cycles. Uh, this expansion that's been going on since the Great Recession was over, over a decade ago, at some point will run out of steam. I think the difference, my guess is, uh, 
in the coming recession, if and when it comes, whether it's in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or, or maybe even beyond, is a lot of manufacturers, I think, financially are much more ready for that. You know, they they have really uh, managed their cash flow. We track inventories. We track accounts receivable. We track accounts payables, the financial. That's uh, Professor Steve Jones being the finance professor. He always keeps a close watch on those kind of critical cash-related numbers. And right now, um, I would say that your typical Hoosier manufacturer, well, actually, we saw it in the survey again this year, over 50% rated themselves as extremely stable, in really good shape. Every year now, we always track the ones that you would call financially unhealthy, and that's at a historic low right now. So I think in general, manufacturers at least Indiana manufacturers, are really in much better position if and when the next recession comes. I think the other thing, too, that might make the next downturn a little different is that uh, the uh, capabilities of the manufacturers are, are much broader. And so, you it, again, if you follow through with your Industry 4.0 strategy, you might not necessarily be tied to one industry. And while, yeah, there may be some industries that are down, there might be others that are up or booming. And the hope with the uh, levels of advanced manufacturing being put into place is that'll give manufacturing managers more flexibility so that if you happen to be in an industry that is down, you're not kind of trapped there necessarily and you can go compete and get business in other related industries along those dimensions. In relation to, you know, the labor shortage, that being one another big thing that you've seen where automation and labor shortage are starting to intersect, what's what's been some of the causes from, from the data, if it does show? Um, and what are manufacturers and in, in, in this industry trying to do to bridge that gap for the labor shortage and pull people in? Yeah, the uh, I think the causes of the labor shortage... They're probably at this point fairly well known. Uh, you you hear it everywhere in the in the news. Uh, Thirty thousand plus baby boomers every day retiring. Uh, we don't track it in our study, but others have reported time and again that the typical manufacturer now perhaps twenty to thirty to forty percent of their labor force is eligible for retirement. You know they they've already, if you will, put in twenty five or thirty years. Uh, Many of these baby boomers are, are deciding not to retire. They're carrying on in manufacturing, but inevitably they'll begin to step down and turn over the reins to the other generations coming behind them. So we've kind of known that that has been going on for a while. Uh, it has really started to kind of kick in in the last, again, four or five years. The other side of the equation is a, a harder one, I think, to crack, and that is uh, attracting young people into manufacturing. The very we were just talking about recessions. Uh, manufacturers, almost by default, have to be very quick in a recession to scale back. You order less materials. Maybe you take you stop working overtime. You might go from working three shifts to two shifts or one shift uh, as your uh, demand dries up a little bit. And so people have this perception that manufacturing, well, if you work in there, you know, that'll just next recession, you'll lose your job. What's to me always missing in the conversation 
is manufacturers come back first and coming out of a recession. And when they come back, they come back big time. And so again, you can look not just at Indiana's data, but the historical data for our nation and coming out of the Great Recession, uh, manufacturing has led the way in, in terms of GDP growth, investment in R&D, and, and many of these kind of things that are important you know, to economies. So we need to, to communicate that more to the younger people. Uh, I also, uh, like who doesn't watch movies? A lot of times, you know, those exciting uh, uh, chase sequences or other stuff in action movies are filmed in old dilapidated factories. To me, when I see that, I kind of cringe because I think that is not manufacturing today. Uh, a, a lot of factories today, honestly, are probably cleaner than many of our kitchens. If, if you think about the medical device industry here in Indiana, which is one of the important manufacturing sectors, making pacemakers, making artificial joints, if you think of companies that are like a Lilly or Roche that are involved in other medical devices or pharmaceuticals, unbelievably clean uh, environments. They have to be. Uh, same thing, even if you walk into a, what you would call a more typical manufacturer today, maybe they're uh, making vehicles as an example or aerospace, unbelievably modern facilities, well-lit, uh, none of that stuff you see in the movies. And so that's also part of it, I think, is a perceptual thing, you know, that it's, it's they, they call it the rust belt. It's old, it's nasty, it's dirty, it's unsafe. Couldn't be any further from the truth. In fact, I would almost throw a challenge out there, I guess, to some of the tech companies, you know, that fancy themselves as, as real, innovate, real innovators. Um, come up with your best. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll put that up against a, a highly automated, modern manufacturing facility. And in the end, I think most people would come away think, realizing that manufacturing has got everything that you see in careers and other industries, services, or otherwise incredible technologies, incredible opportunities, and it's nothing like it's typically portrayed, you know, in TV or the, or the mass media. So as we begin to wrap up, what about this year has surprised you or what are some of the takeaways from this specific survey uh, that kind of were eye-opening for you as a researcher? Yeah, I, I think, well, we are kind of seeing one trend go away, uh, the regulatory trend. You know, there was a lot of discussion and concern in manufacturing a few years ago over being overregulated in many different ways. Uh, tax reform was also put into play. So what we see in the 2019 study is not nearly as much kind of concern or anguish or, or pressures around regulations anymore. In fact, there's kind of a sentiment, I think, through the survey that a lot of manufacturers appreciate some of the things that were taken both state and federally to reduce some of the regulatory burdens. So I wouldn't say regulations are, are totally going away, but that is no longer the big trend that, uh, again, it was three or four years ago. What's replaced it almost simultaneously is, of course, the trade and tariffs. And some of those started in uh, industries like solar panels, aluminum, and steel uh, in the beginning of 2018, and obviously the United States and China and, and probably some other countries are in on that too. Uh, got going last summer, uh, has continued on this year. 
So what we see in this year is a lot of concern over trade and tariff, but it's not necessarily the policy type concern. It's just that manufacturing, all things even, functions best when there's minimal variation and the uncertainty and the risk is, is really moderate. And when you get into issues around trade and tariffs, manufacturers, like all business people, really have to operate in scenarios. So I think you see a lot in the survey this year about how we kind of have a, a best case, a hope for a case, um, the expected case, what might happen, and then the dreaded worst case. And so that is uh, something, too, that will probably stay in, the, in our data for the next year or two until some of these macro issues with China and the U.S. in particular are hammered out. Again, just want to thank Mark Froelich, Director of Kelly's Center for Excellence in Manufacturing and Professor of Operations Management, who, along with Professor of Finance Steve Jones and a commission by Kat Sapper-Miller, were able to put out the 2019 Manufacturing Survey. And if you want to get a copy of that survey, be sure to click the link in the show notes. That way you can have a copy for yourself. Again, Mark, thank you so much for your time. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week. Music